Readers Entertainment Radio presents Book Lights with your host, author Lisa Kessler. Book Lights, where we're shining a light on good books. Hello, everyone. It's another Monday. Can you believe this is the last Monday in June? I can't believe it. The year is flying by and yet dragging. Um, ever since the plague started, time has no meaning. But anyway, um, we are heading into July. I'm very excited that our last week of the month we are spending with author Shane Wilson. He writes some contemporary fantasy that we're going to have the wall chatting about. And if you haven't read him yet, I will read his bio so you can get to know him. Shane Wilson is a storyteller. No matter the medium, the emphasis of his work is on the magical act of the story and how the stories we tell immortalize us and give voice to the abstractions of human experience. Born in Alabama and raised in Georgia, Shane is a child of southeastern United States where he feels simultaneously at home and out of place. He graduated from Valdosa State University in South Georgia with a master's in English. He taught English in Georgia for four years before moving to North Carolina in 2013. Shane's short story, The Boy Who Kissed the Rain, was the 2017 Rilla Askew Short Fiction Prize winner and nominated for a 2018 pushcart. Shane is currently at work on a new novel, and I did put a link to his website right there on the Blog Talk site. If you're listening live or if you're listening later, you can click that anytime and go check out his website. Lots of information and content there. Uh, He also has a blog, and you can check in and sign up for his newsletter over there as well. So without any further delay, are you there, Shane? I'm here. All right. Thanks so much for being on with us today. Absolutely. Thank you so much. It is a pleasure to be the final guest of June. Uh, right. And you're right. <laughs> I don't know that I would have even realized that if you hadn't said it. Uh, time has absolutely ceased to mean anything. <laughs> right. So it's it nice, simultaneously you know, it's nice feels to, fast and slow. <laughs> right. But it's nice to mark the passage of time. You know, it's important. Yeah. Um, uh, or I may not know when to go back to school. Exactly. <laughs> to, to teach, but I know now I have like uh, like five weeks left. So. Oh no, <laughs> summer's so too short. Oh man, you're telling me. <laughs> so, do you want to tell everybody about the smoke in his eyes, and you know why should they run out and grab it this week? Oh man, what a great question. I'm so bad at the hard sell. Um, I know, right? I'm just I'm just like, you know, like, this is what it's about. And, you know, it, you can get it if you want to. If you don't want to spend money on it, I'll just give you one. It's fine. Um, <laughs> it, um, yeah, no, so authors have his, to eat, so everyone go buy the book. Uh, <laughs> uh, the Smoke in His Eyes is um, the second novel in what I call The World of Muses, which is a series, but it's not serialized. Uh, so, okay. in other words, the the stories that make up this uh, universe are all standalone stories, but they do all exist in the same shared universe. So they share the same like um, magic and all of that stuff, but every story stands alone uh, with little nods and Easter eggs. It's very much the Marvel cinematic universe model, right? Um, okay. So uh, the smoke in his eyes is, is uh, the second novel that I've written. And it's a story about TJ, who is a, uh, musician who's very technically proficient um, 
and who has uh, a traumatic experience as a young child that unlocks uh, these visions in him. And he has uh, these recurring abstract visions that he can't make any sense of, but that completely flood his senses. It's like a really intense version of synesthesia um, where he hears sounds that he can't place and he sees colors and shapes and things like that. But anyway, anytime he gets into an emotionally stressful situation, his senses are flooded with these visions and sounds. Um, as he gets a little bit older, he meets Muna, who turns out to be the uh, the muse of the story. And she helps him uh, sort of get in there with these visions and mine them for inspiration and um, helps him then to uh, extract art from his trauma. So is Muna in the other muse books too? No, so uh, the, the the sort of uniting thread of the Muse books is a school where these Muses are trained, uh, and it exists oh, okay. sort of like in the background. Uh, and so each book kind of has its own Muse character that finds the protagonist and, and helps uh, the protagonist figure his or her stuff out. Uh, whatever it is. In this case, it is kind of a very traditional sort of Muse character, right? Uh, she helps him with uh, his creative art, uh, but in my first novel, uh, A Year Since the Rain, uh, he was really, uh, the protagonist of that novel was really bogged down in uh, grief and couldn't move forward, and so she helped him uh, find his way through his uh, grieving process. Nice. So these aren't the traditional Greek muses, then. These are, like, are they regular right. human beings? Yeah, so or? it does take... It does take kind of a, a liberal uh, definition of the word inspire, right? Um, mm-hmm. They don't all inspire purely artistic endeavors as the Greek muses would have traditionally. You know, we think of, you know, there was music and art and whatever. Um, here, their purposes kind of vary uh, depending on the situation. Some of them are. Uh, able to help people deal with, you know, emotional trauma or grief. Some of them are able to inspire art. Some of them do different things. Are they human or are they fantastical beings? That's a really great question that I'm not really sure that I know the answer to. Uh, They're they're definitely (laughs) humanoid, right? They definitely have uh, some sort of magical power, but I don't know that – I think that they're just uh, maybe sensitive to magic and, and they're taught from a very early age how to harness that. Uh, almost like a, I guess would be sort of similar to Jedi, right? Like from the from the Star okay. Wars universe. Um, yeah, you they're the sort force. of identified early on, and and then they're taught from a young age how to harness that power. Very cool. Do you see yourself having more books in this universe? Yeah. So there is a there's a third novel that is at the publisher right now. Uh, and it exists in this universe. There's a fourth novel in the drawer that I'm not quite sure yet if it's going to ever see the light of day, but it's also set in the universe. But right now the third novel, which is called The Woman with a Thousand Faces, is set to be, is set to be the bow on this universe, and then we'll sort of decide where to, what we're going to do next. Very cool. When is the, next, when is the third book going to come out? Do you know? Yeah, uh, the Woman with a Thousand Faces right now is tentatively set for a spring 2022 release, so probably March or April of next year. Oh, great. Very that's 
exciting. Yeah, that one's been ready for a minute, and I had a hard time uh, letting it go. You know, sometimes you finish something and you can't wait to get it out the door, and then sometimes for whatever reason you you want to hold on to something um, until you feel ready to let it go. It's almost like a child in a way, right? Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, there's um, the there's a, a friend of mine who has, uh, who I've gotten very close to at one point had kind of inspired the main character of this book and uh and then that person passed away a couple of years ago and that made it difficult to kind of send this book out into the world mm-hmm. um, but uh you know as as writers we tend to write through our uh our grief and so right. i sort of like worked through all of that and, and now i think that it's it's time for this uh for her to go out into the world and inspire other people there you go. Yeah, it sometimes writing is very cathartic, and we have to go to our hurt places and get it out on the page. But you know, those are usually the emotional stories that the readers love the most because it also, you know, it helps heal somebody else who's who's going through something similar. Yeah, for sure. And I think that, like, I mean, this is you know just me talking about my own work, but I think that third novel is probably the most beautiful, honest, raw thing that I've ever written. And that, you know, we always like to say that about the newest thing that we've written, but it's not the newest thing that I've written. Uh, And it still feels, whenever I go back and work on edits or revisions or whatever, I I feel like there's this real intrinsic power to that story. Um, And it is, um, it's something that I'm I'm pretty proud of. So I'm excited that it's finally going to get to see the light of day sometime in a year yeah yeah that is very that's very exciting and so what's next for you because you already have a fourth book but you don't know if you're going to put that out have you thought about what comes next for you yeah um so like you said there's a there's a fourth novel set in that universe that is um I, I, there's a, a little uh, i guess candid conversation here. One of the reasons why I'm not sure about that novel is I think that um, if that novel comes out, then I'm going to have to go back into that universe for more stories to, to continue that oh. story out, and I just don't know that I'm ready mm-hmm. to yet. So eventually, okay. like, we'll probably see a return to the world of muses, but only once I'm, I sort of get a bigger, like a big picture idea of where the story goes. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, the, the thing that I've just recently started working on and maybe a reason why I decided to put a bow on the world of muses in the first place is that I just started to get this um hankering like welcome to the south, right? Here's your here's right? your southern vocabulary <laughs> word for the day. I just got this hankering to play in the horror sandbox. And nice. so I've I've been doing some reading and research and I've started drafting um a Southern Appalachian Vampire Story. Uh, oh. So that's sort of where my head is right now. Um, and, uh, yeah, we'll see how that goes. You know, I'm 13,000 words in. I think the story has legs, but it's uh, it's still a little early to tell really, like, what it's, what it's going to end up being. Because when I was just – even when I was drafting the first 13,000 words, I, I started – I was like, I think it's going to be a vampire story. And then a day later, I was like, I think it's about a blood cult. And then a day later, I was like, no, I'm back on vampires again. And then, like, <laughs> so, um, you know, it's it, we're in a very sort of nebulous time in this new uh, sandbox that I've decided to play in. 
And, you know, all of my friends out there who are plotters are all getting hives now going, what do you mean you don't know where it's going? What? I take it you're a (laughs) pantser, right? (laughs) So I like to, I I mean, I'm I'm a hybrid of sorts. I I let the first half of any story happen to me. Um, I just kind of am along for the ride. And then as it shores itself up, uh, sometime around the beginning of the third act of that story, I will outline my way out of the story. Um, because I, I think that uh, I think that pantsing is a really good way to get yourself in trouble uh, as a writer. But I think that a little bit of trouble is also very good. Uh, right. <laughs> so I will slide out of the seat of my pants until I get a little past the halfway mark. And then once I get myself in too much trouble and I don't really know how to get out, then I'll take some time and kind of methodically plot my way out of the story. I like it. That's an, that's an interesting um that's an interesting method for getting for getting through it. I I am mostly a pantser. I mean, I always usually know what the ending of the book will be. I just don't yeah. know how I'm going to get there. Occasionally, I've had a rare book where I'm writing along and I'm like, shoot, I don't know where this is going, which is very unsettling, and I don't enjoy that feeling. But um, I have had a few books that did that to me, and I have never, I have never thought to try and plot my way to the end. But, but I do know from short story writing, the few times that when I was first starting out, I got my start in short story writing, and I started going to writers conferences and taking classes and you know, they make you feel like if you're not outlining, you're writing incorrectly. And so I started outlining some short stories, and I never finished those. So obviously, my process, part of the excitement is I want to know what's going to happen next. And if I already know, I have no reason, you know, to get to the keyboard. And I just think people's brains either work that you can't get to the keyboard unless you know what's going to happen, or you're the flip side, where you can't get to the keyboard unless you want to know what's going to happen, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, and there's uh, something really interesting about uh, knowing, like you said, you mostly know the end of the book, but you don't know what happens between what you think is the beginning and what you think is the end. And I think that as a pantser, it's a lot easier to take that journey if you know where you're going to end up uh, because there's right. an end, right? Like It's, it's not like, quite it's like scary, yes. Right. It's like taking a hike and knowing where the end, like where the car is, right? But right. not knowing the ending and just starting just off of the first page without any knowledge of where you're going is like taking a hike and not knowing where the car is, right? And that can be a real right. daunting thing. So, yeah, I think knowing the end is a really important part. And I don't know the end of this book because I barely know this book. <laughs> so <it's, laughs> I know more about it today than I did a month ago, but it's, it is it's probably the most by the it's the most pantser thing that I've done since my first novel which was a complete accident anyway so that's how you know it's a pantser project because you didn't even mean to write it (laughs) yeah the whole book was an accident (laughs) yeah I was trying to write a poem and then I woke up and I was like oh I've got 70,000 words (laughs) (laughs) that's a really long poem Right, yeah, it's so funny because, well, the the story of that book is I tried to write a poem, and I wrote like 10 pages of the worst poetry uh, I've ever read. And I, I started oh. as a poet. I, I published poetry and anthologies and stuff and had this great idea for this, you know, really sad uh, retrospective on a bad breakup, you know, 
uh, where mm-hmm. like the day that, that, that this breakup happened, it was raining and it was South Georgia and the pollen was swirling in the, you know, drains and stuff. And it was just like really rife with imagery. And I sat down to try to write this thing a year later. And the idea was I was going to write a year since the rain, right? A year since she left, a year since all of this stuff happened. And uh, 10 pages later, I had like two lines that were kind of good. Um, and saved those two lines. And then maybe six months later, I started writing a short story about a town that had gone into a drought a year earlier and realized that I was maybe writing a year since the rain as a short story. And then 15,000 words in, I was like, well, that's not a short story anymore. (laughs) (laughs) We're moving into a novella. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I was like, at some point, you're just going to have to be honest with yourself. You're writing a book. (laughs) Right. Well, um, I was lucky enough that I got to meet Ray Bradbury a couple times before he passed away, and he lived in California, and I was in California, and anyway, I got to meet him, and he used to have, um, you know, just hearing him talk about writing could make you cry. He was just so passionate about it, but he used to talk about that because he was a pantser, no, no outline. And he used to talk about like, there's the super conscious out there that wants stories told. That's why movie companies, you know, have the same kind of movie come out three different ways because the universe really wanted that story out. And he used to think that the bravest, you know, kind of writing is when you just do dictation, you put your hero out there and you just let them tell the story and you're you're downloading it from the super conscious and that kind of thing and that's sometimes the coolest part of writing when you know you look up and you're like whoops i have fifteen thousand words you know that those might be your most honest stories you know yeah that's a really cool way of looking at it i like the idea that the universe has really wanted armageddon and deep impact right at at the the same time The universe wanted to be sure the story got out, so they gave it to multiple studios, yeah, they, and they, they did that like, too. The Snow White thing, and they had yeah. all the different studios having them. You know, it's an but interesting concept. When only concept. one movie of a particular type comes out, that's when you know that we got it right the first time, right? Like the universe didn't that's need right. two or three tries. Like didn't need you know, a backup. Twister came out. Like we only had one tornado movie that year, so that was it. That was the one. <laughs> Right, right. Yeah, we did it Titanic, right. They didn't need like a backup we, nailed, plan. we nailed Titanic. <laughs> Definitely. No more ship sinking movies. That's right. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you because you're also a songwriter and you talked about poetry. How do you think that all weaves in with your novel writing? Do you think that that plays a part in it or are they two separate beasts? So I. Um... I'm a big fan of uh, prose that marries poetic language to more vernacular type language. I think that uh, that juxtaposition between elevated diction and the everyday uh, is really interesting. Um, People, uh, uh, writer Juno Diaz, who I've read a lot of his work is, is does that a lot really well. Like he'll describe, a broken beer bottle by the side of the side of the highway in the most beautiful language ever, right? And mm-hmm. it's just a really interesting thing, I think. And that stuff, and I think that stuff comes from poetry, um, right? And that attention to you know, poetry is is very word centric, whereas prose can often be sentence centric, right? Um, mm-hmm. Or paragraph centric. And I think that 
the shift in prose from that focus on sort of paragraph level concerns to word level concerns can be kind of jarring in an interesting way to a reader when you zoom in on those words and and, the, and each word all of a sudden is really important, you know? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that all of that stuff is married. And the fact that I was not a songwriter before I wrote a book about a songwriter, um, oh. I didn't play an instrument uh, or anything. I taught myself the guitar while I was writing The Smoke in His Eyes. Um, wow. Because I wanted... The, I wanted the experience, like the texture of the book, to feel uh, more genuine. And so, even if all I if, if all I got out of uh, the guitar experience was, you know, how does it feel to make a chord? How does how do the strings feel against your fingers? Things like that. I just wanted that experience with it, you know. Uh, but as most musicians will tell you, the first time you string together three or four chords and play a song that you've heard on the radio a bunch of times, it just kind of unlocks something in you and you can't, you can't put, you can't lock that door again, you know? Um, right. So, yeah. So I wrote this song called Before We Fade Away, which is a song from that novel. Uh, and which is cool because now I get to play that when I do readings and stuff, you know, uh, oh, it helps cool. bring, parts of that story uh, to life. And, um, yeah, so I spent, you call it the plague. I, I like that. I spent the better <laughs> part of the plague uh, locked up in my apartment recording my first album of original music. So, um, wow. And it all just started as a thought experiment, right? Like I just, I wanted to know what it was like to hold the guitar before I wrote about a guy who held a guitar a lot. <laughs> Uh-huh. Oh, that's so cool. I love it. So you found music through your book writing. Yeah, right. And, you know, when I, was, when I mentioned that, I was writing a novel about maybe a vampire or maybe a blood cult. Then the people in my life that knew that I played the guitar because I was writing about a guitarist, they got a little worried. They They're were like, like hey. Gonna... <laughs> They're like, where does the line method acting stop with you? Because should we be worried? <laughs> right. I got a bug bite or wait. Right, <laughs> exactly. <that> you... <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to know what it what it, what it felt like. <laughs> right, I just wanted to know what it was like to be a mosquito. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's uh, uh, you know, no one in my life has to worry. I'm not going to be a vampire. Although I was reading a really interesting article about the fam, the real life vampires of New Orleans. Um, and people who drink blood because they have an iron deficiency, I'm like, they make pills for that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's interesting, the research holes that we go down as writers. Oh, I always think, you know, if if anything happens to me, delete my Internet search history. <laughs> yeah, I like to think that the FBI, like, sits around and plays drinking games, and it's like serial killer, terrorist, or writer. And right. like, they guess which one of it, like, the search history belonged to. <laughs> and then if they were right, then, then they're good. But if they were wrong, they have to take a drink. Right. <laughs> and I bet they get faked out with writers a lot. I think they probably do. Except I think that serial killers probably have pretty uniform search histories and as do terrorists probably. But writers, we have to know everything, you know. So, well, that's like, true. Yeah, might, it would be like I might how to Google kill someone to and bomb, also but I, how to do brain surgery. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. And I also might just like 
there's something about baking bread or something. You know, like you never know what something really mundane. <laughs> right. That could actually be a really fun show to watch on television too. I think. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah, to figure out from their search history what they do for a living. <laughs> yeah, killer or creative. <laughs> I like it. I would watch. <laughs> Yeah, I wanted to be hosted by Ashton Kutcher. <laughs> oh, there you go. Are you being punked or is it real? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to ask you, and you sort of touched on it a little bit, but what was your writing journey to, like, being a published author? Readers are always really interested in, you know, how how did that – what did that path look like for you? It sounds like you always like to write because you have a degree in English, but did you imagine you would be an author? Uh, I don't know. I think, the, I think my first aspirations for any kind of writer journey probably uh, started – when I was a very uh, probably middle school, uh, I got really into movies, and I wanted to write movies. And oh, okay. my, you know, I got the old family camcorder out, and I started writing scripts, and I would cast them with kids around the neighborhood, and we would make these movies. Um, and I would edit them and everything just – and I would edit them by just stacking two VCRs on top of each other, you know. Um, oh, <laughs> and high tech. then I would design cover art for them, and I would rent them out to people in the neighborhood for like a dollar a night, and they were terrible. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Small businessman. I know, right, yeah. And you think like – and now I can't even make the heart sell, right? But here I was like peddling home movies for a dollar a night door to door for, you know, a little while. Um, and before even that, uh, in, in, that was in middle school. Before that, in probably second grade, I remember writing, like handwriting uh, short stories and putting uh, – on notebook paper and putting them in these like three-pronged binders and designing cover art for them. And um, maybe even before that, my parents bought me a typewriter, like an old-school click-clack typewriter, and that's how I learned how to spell. I would sit on the typewriter and ask my parents how to spell words, and as they spelled them out loud to me, I would, like, peck them out on the keys. Um, So it was just very, you know, my – I grew up in a storytelling household where, you know, my grandparents and my uh, parents were just very good at telling stories, so that – Oral tradition was kind of instilled in me from a very early age, and then to grow up with a typewriter in front of me and writing stories and making movies, like it's always kind of been a part of me. The first time I articulated, like, I want to do a thing is when I said I wanted to make up, I wanted to be a filmmaker, uh, or I wanted to write the uh, script writer or whatever. Um, but then, you know, in college, as, uh, as, as it often does, it kind of like over, um, I don't know what the, over, intellectualizes things maybe uh, to the point right. where I just became very, very academically minded, uh, which is great. Like I love the analytical part of my brain that I got from that experience, but the creativity kind of stepped back a little bit. Um, and it took a couple of years out of college to kind of come back to that. And, and it started with poetry and then short stories and, and creative nonfiction. And then uh, this novel. And by the time the novel was finished, uh, I thought, well, you know, I did write, all of these words, I should probably try to find a way to do something with them. Uh, 
<laughs> and so I started, you know, pitching agents uh, like a lot of us do and um, got really great feedback from agents about how the story was, how the writing was good, but the story was kind of weird and like niche and they weren't sure how to, how to sell it necessarily. Right. And so that brought me to indie presses, right, that are a little bit more willing to take a chance on a weird uh, property. So, uh, and that's where I've <laughs> kind of lived. I like I like living uh, with the indie presses because they're incredibly supportive. You get to keep a lot of the creative freedom. Like I get to help design my cover, um, mm-hmm. and uh, I have a really good working relationship with a graphic artist that works with my publisher. She designs everything for me now: social media graphics. She designed the album cover. Um, so you know, like it's a it's a cool it's a very collaborative experience working with uh, small press. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And um, I we're running out of time, so I don't I I don't want to ask you a big question. But um, <laughs> when you are uh, working on your books, you obviously are still you know teaching too. Do you communicate with readers very much? Are you on social media? How would readers get in touch with you if they read the book and they're excited to ask you a question or something? Yeah, so absolutely. I love talking to people about my books. I don't like to give them a lot of answers if they have questions. I like them to come up with their own answers. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I absolutely love it. The thing that I've missed most about the plague is going out and doing readings and, and uh, appearances right. and stuff. So people can find me on all of the socials at that. Shane Wilson uh, and uh, like you said yeah that Shane Wilson that's on Instagram Facebook and Twitter and then ShaneWilsonAuthor.com will uh, take you to any of the Shane Wilson properties that you might be interested in uh, including the new album of all the things I've ever said I made this the most available on Spotify and everywhere music is available Awesome. So everybody go check it out. Grab the album and also grab the book that inspired the guitar playing, The um, the Smoke in His Eyes. (laughs) Thank you so much for being here today, Shane. It was great having you on and good luck with the new book. I can't wait to read it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us on Book Lights. Be sure to connect with us at www.readersentertainment.com for articles, blogs, videos, and podcasts that matter to readers. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.